Uh, if you want to open your Bibles to the book of First John, we'll be reading from chapter one, verses five through ten. First John chapter one, five through ten. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I appreciate every Sunday being able to preach the gospel and and be here among our brethren. I need to keep up with the uh, the tools a little better, I guess. Microphone on. It's a rough morning. As John penned his general epistle, the fellowship of the church to which he was writing was being threatened. There had entered into their midst and into the area a new doctrine. Now this doctrine would later come to be known as Gnosticism. And it opposed everything that John and the other apostles and other faithful brethren had taught for about 60 years. We're about 60 years in the context of this letter uh, from the time that Christ died on the cross, came up out of the, the tomb, and the church was established on the day of Pentecost. Now this doctrine of Gnosticism was a doctrine that taught that Jesus was not God because they say, and they do say still today, that God cannot inhabit flesh. God, it is not within His ability to take upon Himself the form of a man and become human. So they deny the deity of Christ. Now we have a very prominent denomination in the world today, not just one, but several, that deny that Christ is God. Of course, that's not true. And John addresses this very fact. Now, to counteract this heresy, John began his letter by calling attention to Christ. He wanted to call attention to Christ because it is through Him that we have our fellowship with God. It is through Christ in which we are able to walk in the light of the cross. Because of all the wonderful things He did for us, because of the great sacrifice that He gave on our behalf, we are able to walk in the light of the cross. Now John's account of the life of Christ and his letter is very similar. He begins to present the evidences that Jesus Christ is in fact God. Was God in eternity? 
was God while He walked upon the earth, and He continues to be God even unto this very day. And He presents those evidences showing His deity. Now, they both begin with a reference to the beginning. When we look in the Gospel account of John and we look in this first letter that he penned, he begins at the very beginning of time. He uh, talks about the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, of course, we understand that to, to be Christ because John said that statement and made that statement in First John or John 1, verse 14. They both declare the eternal God of heaven entered into the history of mankind as a person when Christ was born, that miraculous birth of a virgin maiden. They both add the manifestation of God was seen by people in the world. John chapter 1, he talks about us beholding the very image of God. We saw Him, we touched Him. And both speak of Christ as God's Son. That's a very important statement, God's Son. That indicates an equality. In the Jewish religion, the Son was equal to the Father. That's what ultimately they charged Christ with when they put Him to death. Blasphemy against God, saying that He was God. They'd been trying for hours and hours, and they were bringing false witnesses to find something that they could murder the Son of God with. And finally, He made the statement that He was the Son of God. And they began to tear their clothes. And they said, see, there you go. He's blaspheming God Himself. He's worthy of death. And both of these letters, both of these accounts, speak of this new relationship with God that can be found only in Christ. But if we're going to enjoy a fellowship, with God that comes through the very Son of Him, we must be proactive in that relationship. I think that's something that we need to consider. God doesn't just happen to someone. Christ doesn't just happen to someone. We have to be proactive in in cultivating that relationship, in searching out that relationship. There are things that we have to do in order to be saved in order to become a Christian other than just simply waiting on salvation to happen. One writer made this remark. He said, people are waiting for their ships to come in when they haven't even sent one out. Boy, that talks about the majority of the world, especially when we're talking about the religious world, right? We're waiting on something to happen, some kind of an experience to happen to us when... It is laid out in the Bible how we come to be in a relationship with God. How is it that we're able to walk in the light of the cross? We simply cannot wait on salvation when we've done nothing to attain it. And we're not talking about works, working our way into heaven, man-made works, but we are talking about godly works. God has presented godly works to us that we must, in which we must engage. And we can't just simply wait on that. Now that impacts the Christian, both individually and collectively. We can't wait on being saved, neither can we wait on being faithful. We can't just wait on somehow, all of a sudden, I'm going to turn into this faithful individual that understands and knows the Word of God. It takes work 
Tell me any other topic in the world that we wake up one day and all of a sudden we just know everything about it. Doesn't exist, does it? Doesn't exist in this world. Brand new mothers, how much do they know about being a mother? Give them a kid or two and they know quite a bit, don't they? How'd they learn it? Through study of being a mother. Now they may, they didn't go to school for that. They learned on the job, right? Oh, they may have read some, some material. I didn't read any material on how to be a father. I just learned through the terrible mistakes I made and through the guidance of my wife on how to be a better father. But we don't wake up one morning and all of a sudden we're great parents. We don't wake up one morning and all of a sudden we're faithful Christians. There's things that we must do. Ultimately, it all goes back to John's main focus of fellowship with God and that happens through Christ. And because of that, we can walk in the light of the cross. I want us to consider this this morning, this passage that was read for us. And I want us to be able to take from it some things that we need to be able to apply to our lives. All of us. In John's letter, he transitioned from how to accomplish the Christian's desire for fellowship into demonstrating how that can happen. We may have a desire to have fellowship with God. Now, in this context, he's writing to Christians. I want us to keep that in mind. He's not writing to the alien sinner who has yet to obey the gospel. Can we make application? Absolutely, and we're going to do that. But he is writing to those who had already obeyed the gospel, those who were having trouble walking in the light because they did not understand some very valuable and fundamental things. So he's transitioning from the desire to be faithful. Obviously, they had that. But they were not doing some things. They were missing some things in their lives. So he goes all the way back, and John begins with the revelation. The foundation of God is that He is light. Sometimes we don't consider light as much as we ought to. In this foundation, He revealed His source. God is light, and Jesus Himself is the source. And just like in his gospel account, John is very, uh, he's confident in this source. He's confident in his message. Notice what he said, John 1 verse 19. He said, and this is the record. I'm going to impart to you some information and it is the record. It is a fact. This is who Jesus is. This is what God expects. The is is emphatic in the manuscript. It's emphatic. This is the record. It marks the permanence, the absoluteness of what is to follow. It is the record. Though he heard this message from Jesus, notice what John was doing. He was repeating it. He heard it from Jesus. He got it directly from the source. But what was he doing? He was telling others about it. Why? Because we need to be able to walk in the light of the cross. It isn't enough to learn it ourselves. We have to impart that information. Now the Greek verb here indicates that they had continually preached this message and that they were going to continue to preach this message. It wasn't ever going to stop. 
I want us to notice also in describing God, do you, do you notice that he said God is light? He didn't say God is the light. God is a light. He said God is light. That's what God is. He described his nature, didn't he? The fundamental essence of God is he is light. Not a light, not the light, but light, period. That's what God, and from him, comes all light. He is the source, isn't He? That's the revelation. That's the foundation. Light is what stimulates growth in the natural world, isn't it? Even for people who are never exposed to light, they're not as healthy as they could be. Plants will not grow without light. The same thing is in the spiritual world. Light stimulates growth. In his gospel account, he said concerning Christ, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Isn't that amazing? God is light. In Jesus is life, and that life is the light of men. For life, we have to have God. He is light. Because of, because of the fact that He is light, there's no darkness in Him. How much, have you ever walked into a room and turned on a light and over in the corner it was still just completely black and darkened? It doesn't exist like that. Light and darkness cannot exist in the same space. That doesn't mean it's as light as the sun in a room, but the room is lit, right? It's lit. Darkness cannot coexist with light. Light gets rid of darkness. It cannot be in the same space. Now the Gnostics, they had invented this supreme being in their minds. Now, within this supreme being, you could have both darkness and light. And they tried to differentiate between, in their minds, the lesser God of the Bible, the lesser God of the writings of the apostles, and the other men. They tried to make a difference there. John destroyed that notion. He said, God is light, in Him is what? No darkness. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of God. It's not going to exist. He is light. The world continues to do that though, don't they? They try to bring a little darkness into God. Now they may not do it necessarily in these exact terms. But it is still happening today. What about the person who claims to have a fellowship with God, yet they're not a part of God's body? Someone who claims to have a fellowship with God, yet they live in such a way that you couldn't differentiate between them and uh, uh, any sinner in the world who abhors God. That's bringing darkness into God. That's claiming something that is not true. What about those who claim that any religious belief is okay as long as you are sincere in it? That's bringing darkness into God. That can't happen. So either God can have darkness or that person is telling a lie. What did John say? They're telling a lie. Right? John transitions from this foundational principle, this revelation, into... Man's failure when they do not obey God, when they do not follow after 
His commandments. If we walk in darkness, and we say we have a fellowship with God, what did John say? He said, we tell a lie, and we don't know the truth. We do not practice truth. Now, we can say anything, can't we? We can say, I'm a, I'm a faithful Christian, yet live in any way we want to live. But that doesn't make it so. The fact is, God is light. In Him is no darkness whatsoever, cannot exist in His presence. But I can say, I have fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness. But we're telling a lie. When we look in our passage, we have three clauses that begin with, if we say. John says, if we say, three different times, he presents three clauses, three situations, and within each of those, he denies the false teaching of the day. What do Gnostics say? Oh, I know everything. I know I'm in the light. No, no, no. You're in darkness. I know the truth. No, no, no. You tell a lie. I have fellowship with God. No, no, you don't. That's what John's doing. He destroyed the Gnosticism of the day. Gnosticism says, I know it all. I know everything, right? That's what Gnostic means. All-knowing. Have you heard the term agnostic? Someone says, well, I don't, I'm agnostic. I don't know if there is one or there's not one. I don't know if there's a God or, the, or if there's not a God. I'm not an atheist because I don't know. Well, see, the exact opposite of that is Gnosticism. They said, I've got the truth. You all don't have it, but you need it. So listen to what I'm saying. Each followed with a consequential statement. And it showed how wrong that teaching was. Since God is light, we cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship with Him. It is impossible. Not going to happen. Darkness cannot come into contact with light because light takes it away. God takes away the darkness of sin if we let Him do it for us individually. We have to keep that in mind, right? Those who enjoy the darkness can't come into contact with God. Simply not possible. We can't be a little bit dark and a little bit light. You know what Jesus said? He addressed that, Matthew 6, 24. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll cling to one or you won't cling to the other. He says, you cannot serve God and material things. Mammon. Later, Paul would list an array of lifestyles. Romans 1, beginning with verse 18. An array of lifestyles and in which we cannot partake if we want to be walking in the light of the cross. And that destroyed Gnosticism. Destroyed it. See, the Gnostic was very sensual, very materialistic. They would do things that were absolutely contrary to God's law. Not only did Paul list this array of sins, you know, in the end he added something. Not only those who participate in those sins, but those who offer support for those sins in whatever way that support is given. He said they are also worthy of death. If we're going to enjoy God's fellowship, John said we must practice truth. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? We must practice truth. Now wait a minute, doesn't the world say we can't know truth? We can't know for sure what God wants. Well, if that is the case, the apostle of love 
wasn't aware of that. Because he said we were to practice truth. That's the standard by which all people must conform, right? We've been given a set of rules. We've been given a, a pattern by which we are to conform ourselves. Now this word practice indicates something. It indicates a habitual lifestyle. It doesn't mean a one-time thing. It doesn't mean I can study the Bible, I can come to an understanding of what God wants me to do, I can believe and repent and confess, I, can, I may even be baptized for the remission of my sins. I may come up and I have been added to the Lord's church and then I can never again even consider what God wants. That's not practicing truth. Practicing truth, John's commandment, is a habitual lifestyle. I do it over and over and over. I continually practice truth. I continually walk in the light of the cross. Does that mean I am sinlessly perfect? No, it does not. But it means when I sin, I acknowledge that sin and I confess that sin to God and I repent of it and He'll forgive me. If I ask Him. That's what walking in the light means. We have to do that. Jesus said, But he that endures to the end will, will be saved. Matthew 10.22 Now I want us to notice there's a difference between Matthew 10.22 and John 3.16. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Should not perish. Can someone believe on Jesus Christ and yet not make it to heaven? Many of the chief rulers believed on Christ, yet would not confess His name because they feared being put out of the synagogue. Now there's a different statement here. Jesus said, He that endures to the end will be saved. We see the difference? Just because Christ came into the world, just because God loved the world, just because I believe Jesus Christ is who He said He was, does not mean I will be saved. Now, if I do the things that He's asked me to do and I endure to the end, I will be saved. There's a difference. We have to be very aware of that, right? As we study John's teaching, we see him moving from the revelation, the foundation, the failure, to the requirement. And the requirement is what? Very simple. John wasn't uh, a complicated writer. He was very eloquent in his writing. But he wasn't a complicated writer. Paul was kind of a complicated writer at times. So what is the requirement? We live righteously. Isn't that good news? That it is that simple? Isn't that wonderful that, that we can say, all I have to do is to live righteously in the sight of God and I'll be in heaven one day. Now, what does that live righteously include? Practicing truth in a habitual way. Continuing to be faithful. We're to live righteously. John used the word walking here to correspond with living. We walk this life. The Christian walk. We've all heard those things. What does that mean? My Christian lifestyle? My lifestyle in general? There's no difference. We don't have a Christian walk and then we have an everyday walk. I walk that Christian walk on Sunday and Wednesday and during a gospel meeting and maybe VBS. 
or something like that. And then every other day when I go to work, I have my, my normal walk. No. Christians walk the same way every day. Whether it's at work, whether it's on vacation, whether it's any other myriad of things. We have to walk or live. Again, he's not, he's not teaching sinless perfection. He's teaching completeness. I am perfect in Christ. I am complete in Christ. When I walk in the light, I am sustained by Christ. We have to have that constant and sustained effort happening all the time. Every day. Do we slip up? Sure we do. Do we become discouraged? And, and sometimes we don't live up to what we ought to do. We're not practicing truth. That happens sometimes. But there is a difference between living in sin and sinning on occasion. We're not a church full of sinners. If we are, we have a big problem. We are a church full of saved people, those who have obeyed the gospel, those who are living and practicing truth. That's what we have. That's what the body is is made up of saints, saved people. The body is not made up of sinners. The body's made up of former sinners. But if we're sinning, or we're sinners, we have a big problem. Paul presented some detail of what it means to walk in the light. Notice Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 1. Paul said, Be ye therefore followers of God, as dear children, and walk in love, or live a life of love, as Christ also hath loved us. And gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Then he says what, what it means to not walk in the light. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Saints don't do that. Sinners do that. Not saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient. He says, but rather giving of thanks, for this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And he goes on to say, walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. He's making a distinction. This is what it means to walk in darkness, and this is what it means to walk in light. Walk in light. Practice the truth. And if we're going to do that, we have to avoid the darkness of sin. Is that always easy? Is it easy to avoid sin at all costs? Is it simply the easiest thing in the world to wake up every morning and I'm never going to sin from this point on? That's a difficult thing to do. And in fact, we will sin on occasion. That doesn't give us a crush to say, well, I'm going to sin, so I'll just go ahead and imbibe. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I'll do this and then I could ask, I could repent? I don't think it works that way. I don't think it works that way. I can't do something intentionally and say, oh, well, I'll just repent. Now, I might repent from that mindset. I might change my lifestyle and not think that way anymore. But if that's my idea, that's not walking in the light. Paul wants us to understand that. John wants us to understand that. More importantly, if we walk in the light, We not only have fellowship with each other, but the blood of Jesus continually 
cleanses us. That's what he said in our passage, wasn't it? Isn't that wonderful? To know when I live faithfully, when I practice truth, when I walk in the light, when I do slip up, His blood will take care of that. Keep in mind, if we're going to be continuously cleansed, we have to be walking in the light. We can't step out of the light and expect God's uh, Jesus' blood to continually cleanse us. Now, can I go back to the light? Sure I can. As long as I'm alive, I have the faculties to want to do that. See, there's no forgiveness of sin for those who live in sin. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We must first come out of the darkness. Paul told the Corinthians exactly how to do that, right? He explained to them how to come out of, out of, out of darkness. And we see it throughout the Bible. John 8, 24, belief. Luke 13, 3, repentance of past sins. I mean, I changed my mind. I'm not going to live that way any longer. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God in Matthew 10.32. In that particular context, that's living a life of confession. But we see also that we make that good confession, don't we? Romans 10.10. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch did. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sin. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. See, he's talking about two different things there. He says, do this if you want to be saved. Do this if you don't care. Isn't Don't we see that as a theme throughout the Bible? John's talking about in our passage, this is what you do, this is what happens if you don't. Believe and be baptized, you'll be saved. Don't believe, you won't. Of course, that, that baptism adds us to the Lord's church, puts us in the body of Christ, right where we want to be. And then again, that faithful living, that practicing truth up to the point of death. In this context of Revelation 2.10, they were, they were being threatened with murder. He says, be faithful even unto death. But that even unto death, death comes to everybody. It doesn't matter what the context is. We have to be faithful. He that endures to the end will be saved. All that culminates in our walking in the light, in receiving continual forgiveness. But what's the other side of that? John was adamant If we don't walk in the light, we're not living righteously, but yet we still claim to have a fellowship with God, what do we do? We're telling a lie. We're lying. That's just the fact, isn't it? We need to be honest with ourselves. Those who John did battle with in the good fight, they lied. They said, we don't have sin. They had gotten to the point, these Gnostics had been enlightened so much, they said, we don't even sin anymore. We're not subject to that. John knew better than that. They were lying to themselves. They were lying to those around them. They would not admit they didn't have salvation. Now look, they knew that they sinned. We've got enough sense to understand that, right? They knew they had sinned. They lied about it. Not only were they not walking in the truth, not walking in the light, they were devoid of it. They didn't have it at all. They were morally and spiritually bankrupt. They were not where they needed to be, and they were dragging other people down with them. You know, they were just like the Pharisees. Matthew 23, uh, 27, Jesus said, you're like washed tombs. You're like a whitewashed tomb. They would go out and they would whitewash the tomb, but what's a tomb full of? Dead men's bones. 
rotten on the inside. See, that's what these Pharisees were. They were empty on the inside. They were lacking in every area of their lives spiritually. They were bankrupt. Jesus said, that's what you're like. See, the Gnostics appeared good on the outside. Oh, we know all things. We're, we've been enlightened. You need to listen to us. But inwardly, they were sinful. They did all manners of things. We cannot live in the world and expect God to bless us with His fellowship. Let me tell you what happened to me on Friday. On Friday, I met this couple. They came to the church building, and they knocked on the door. They rung the doorbell, went and opened the door. And you had this young girl there, and you had an older-looking man. And they said, boy, we've been walking all day. It's so hot out here. We just want to sit down. I said, well, come on in. They said, you know, we're, we're hungry. We haven't eaten a couple days. I said, well, I can probably feed you. I think the church would be willing to feed someone that was hungry. So we went across the road, and I got them some lunch. And I'm sitting there talking to them, and and they're telling me about things. And the, and the young girl, she was 25. Her name was Danielle. She said, I'm a Christian. I said, okay. I said, what's your name? She said, my name's Terry. I said, how old are you, Terry? He said, I'm 37. I said, how old are you, Danielle? She said, I'm 25. I said, what are you two doing together? She said, well, we've been together for about two years. I said, you're not married? She said, no. I said, but you said you're a Christian. You're living with a man. I said, back where I come from, I don't know what, what anyone else calls it. They used to call that shacking up. Shacking up. Just living together. I said, Christians don't do that. I said, Terry, why haven't you married this girl? Oh, I don't know. I don't know why I married her. Just hadn't had an opportunity, I guess. I said, do you think she believes that you want to marry her? He said, oh yeah, she believes. And I looked at her and she said, no. I said, you know what, Danielle? You're right. He doesn't want to marry you. Or he would have married you. You can't say you're a Christian and walk in darkness. Just because I say I'm a Christian, I'm living with someone out of wedlock, I'm engaging in all sorts of sinful activity. I can say I'm a Christian all day long, but I'm walking in darkness and I'm telling a lie. That's what John says. I'm telling a lie. What's the result of that? What's the result of, of these things that John's been talking about? What's the result of me walking in the light? I'll be acquitted of my sin. I'm going to be forgiven. But I have to do things properly. I have to do what He's asked me to do. God is willing to forgive, but I have to ask Him for it. I have to live in such a way that I can cause that to happen. What if I sin? What if I commit sin? How do I handle that? What's the context of this chapter? The context is writing to Christians. You've obeyed the gospel, yet you've sinned. So what do I do to take care of that? I confess my sin. Who do I confess it to? Well, I confess to the one I've sinned against, right? But who have I sinned against? Well, whoever that individual is and God. Isn't that what David said? Primarily, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, who did he sin against? He said, I've sinned against God. But he also sinned against himself. He sinned against Bathsheba and he sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the whole nation of Israel. So what do I do if I can't go to someone privately? I offend Clay, I go to him, I apologize, I ask God to forgive me and he will. 
But what if I am living with someone and I'm not living correctly and I claim to be a Christian or I have obeyed the gospel and then I begin to do that? Well, what do I do with that? I want the blood of Christ to cleanse me. I have to practice the truth. I have to repent of that. What's that mean? I don't do that anymore. I stop doing it. Can I go to the whole community individually and, and ask them to forgive me and acknowledge I've done wrong? Well, that's virtually impossible. So what do I do? I repent, I stop doing it, and I go before the church and I admit my wrong. I ask for their forgiveness and I ask for God's forgiveness, just like David. He sinned against himself, he sinned against Bathsheba, primarily sinned against God and the whole congregation of Israel. He had to ask forgiveness for that. We have to choose to do that. We can, we can fall from grace. That's what Paul said in Galatians 5, 4. A Christian can slip up and get out of the light. Peter talked about it, 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22, after they've escaped the pollutions of the world. What happens though if, if I don't allow God to do that for me? What if I don't allow God to acquit me? In essence, I'm accusing God. Isn't that what the Gnostics did? Oh, I have fellowship. God, you're a liar. Because I do have fellowship with you, though I don't practice truth. Well, that's accusing God of being a liar, isn't it? We can't do that. God can't tell a lie, Titus 1-2. God cannot lie. It goes against His nature. He is, it is impossible. Paul said, we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. So when I say I don't have sin, like the Gnostics, I tell God you're a liar. Who am I to question God? Who am I to accuse God of anything? He's the Creator. I can't live that way. The Word of God is missing in the life of anyone who walks in darkness and makes claims that they're faithful to God, they have fellowship with Him, but they're strangers to Him. See, we learn this from this passage. It is possible to walk in the light of the cross. That's possible. We can do it. If we'll humble ourselves and come before the throne of God, we can walk in the light of the cross. Christ wants that for us. Look what He did for us. I am so thankful to Him that I can go before the throne of God in repentance of sin and I can walk in the light of the cross. Isn't that wonderful? If you're not walking in the light of the cross, whether it's you haven't initially obeyed the gospel. Do that today. We mentioned how you do that. It's simple. Belief, repentance, confession that Jesus is the Son of God, immersion in water and faithful living. In the context of our passage, the Christian who has stepped out of the light confesses his fault to those who it is necessary, always to God and maybe to other people, and then ask God to forgive us. And He will. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, please do that as we stand and as we sing.